Are you tired of carrying multiple pieces of equipment on your service truck? Lincoln Electric has introduced the solution, the Ranger Air 260 MPX. This multifunction engine drive combines an air compressor, generator, battery charger, battery jump starter, and multi-process welder in one compact device, specifically designed for the unpredictable circumstances and job demands of the work truck industry. But that's not all. The Ranger Air 260 MPX is also designed to provide a lower cost of ownership with features such as auto stop-start technology and an electronic throttle body engine with variable engine speed. Don't miss out on this versatile and reliable machine that can handle any demanding job site. Visit www.lincolnelectric.com for more information on the Ranger Air 260 MPX available later this year and save space on your truck for other tools and gear with this compact power horse. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. When I was learning to weld, one of my biggest resources was YouTube. I wanted to see what it was like working in different sectors of the industry, and one that I was really interested in was mobile repair work. I found Melton Metal Anthony and was immediately sucked into his honesty and personality and viewed him as a mentor. I finally got a chance to talk with him on the podcast, and he really was a wealth of knowledge. He talks about how he got into business through sculptures, that helped keep him out of trouble, then moving into fixing equipment for his dad. He also shares insight into bidding jobs, working with subcontractors, and building relationships with general contractors. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about you, what you do, and where you are, just in case they're not familiar with your work? My name's Anthony. I go by Melton Metal Anthony on YouTube and Instagram. I'm a mobile welder. I try to focus on mobile welding. Currently, I'm in uh, Montana. I'm just, uh, I'm making a move and I'm in the middle of building my own home here in Madison Valley, Montana. Because you were based in Florida before, right? Yeah, I moved out of Florida. That's actually how I got hooked up with Weld.com. I was down in St. Pete and my lawyer is actually directly across from their office. So I just knocked on the door. I've been working with them for quite some time and I've been watching your videos and I was like, you got to talk this, dude. Your videos are some of my favorite just because the honesty you bring to the table. It's not a production. It's just this is what's going on. This is who I am. I just love the honesty in your videos. And that's what drew me to following you. Yeah, I try to just keep it as real as possible. And I don't know, when I was a kid, it was really frowned upon to lie and hide things. So I don't like to hide things or lie in my videos. I like to just keep it as honest as possible. And if I think something's fucked up, I just say it. Or if I think somebody's screwed up and they're trying to screw me, I just say it. Because it's really what I feel. And sometimes it gets me into trouble. I've burned a lot of bridges of being too honest with people, especially contractors. They don't want to hear that they made a mistake. And a lot of the times, a lot of you run into a lot of egos in this business being honest isn't exactly what you want to do all the time. It works for YouTube because it's a little bit refreshing other than the painted and primed and primed versions of TV and everything else we can take on a day-to-day basis. So how did you get into welding? Can you tell a little bit about that story? Yeah, sure. My dad owned dirt mines and dump trucks and heavy equipment, and he is blind in one eye. He lost his eyesight in one of his eyes. I can't remember which. When he was a kid, somebody threw a rock at him, knocked his eye out. So he has no depth perception. So he'd be trying to weld in one spot 
and all of a sudden he'd be three inches above the weld seam because he just can't see it. He sees halos around light and shit. He was like, hey, this is broke. We were on a job site and he was like, hey, this is broken. It was a excavator he had, a real old crappy link belt. And he was like, hey, this roller fell through, can you patch it up? And I was like, I don't know, man. So I went on the internet and I watched like a couple of videos real quick and I was like, yeah, I could do that. I just took to it naturally. It wasn't the prettiest weld that ever was done. I don't even know what rod I used, honestly, but it's still holding today, believe it or not. He still has that excavator. He keeps it on top of a septic pile that he rips out of people's grounds and then he takes septic dirt and recycles it. And that track hoe is still sitting on top of that pile, still running today. Your first weld's still holding. That's a good sign. It's a two-part how I got into it. How I got into the business is because of my dad. My first welds were actually sculptures. I'd actually gotten arrested in, um, and this all makes sense at the end of it, but I got arrested in, it's got to be like 2012 or something. I went to a nightclub. I used to have a fake ID, and I was partying in nightclubs when I was like 17, 18. And somebody slipped me a Mickey, like just basically a cocktail of drugs and I went on a fucking rampage and I got into a fight with all the local cops and uh, I was looking at some serious jail time because assault on a Leo is not a charge they take lightly but luckily with some help from some friends some letters written some character testimony and a good lawyer also help from my father I was able to stay out of prison and just do a little bit of like, a couple of days I was in jail and then also just some community service, like a, a wild amount of community service. So I remember correctly, it was like 500 hours. Dang. And that's when I found out the only thing good about Goodwill is the name. <laughs> but uh, I needed something to keep me busy and keep me out of the nightclubs because I was really heavy into partying, girls, drugs, alcohol. I was doing every hallucinogenic underneath the sun. I was in with a crowd of kids, you know, really idolized the Hunter S. Thompson. And we were just partying, bringing around the girls and when you're 17, that's all you want to do. It was a wake-up call, and I needed something to occupy my time. My dad had this old Lincoln MIG. It was such a piece of crap, but what I used to do is just sit there in the garage and just weld together little sculptures, and then that was initially why my dad asked me, hey, do you think you could repair this? I told the story backwards there, but that's about how it went. That's wild. That's cool that welding has helped you. Like It was your kind of mental safe space that helped you keep out of trouble when you're growing up. As far as when you started doing your mobile repair business, tell us, how did you start that business? And yeah, that's my dad. I was welding his crap back together. Really wasn't putting too much thought into it. I've owned a bouncy castle service. I recently sold it about a year and a half ago. Since I was 16, I bought three bouncy castles. So that's what I did primarily for income. And then I kept building that business over 10 years, turned it into a successful business, was able to sell to somebody else. But my dad, okay, can you fix this? Okay. Hey, and he throw me a couple bucks here and there. And I was using his engine drive, his oxygen acetylene, the trailer he had set up to do, do basic welding jobs, very basic tools, chipping hammer, file, and a grinder. And then one of his friends had a rock bucket. It's this thing they use to just throw rock in. I don't even know if that's really the name of it, but it's, Basically, like it looks like a, a almost like a dragline bucket, but it's not. It doesn't attach to a dragline. It has like a handle on it for excavators to grab. Well, anyway, the dude ripped the handle off and he asked me if I could rewild it. I was like, yeah, sure. So I rewelded that. Then the dude had a hole in his dump truck bed and then I rewelded that for him. At this point, I'm charging him like, you know, 30, 40 bucks an hour tops. And then his friends needed stuff and then their friends and then their friends' friends. So it was really a lot of construction equipment for a lot of years. And then a couple of general contractors I'd met actually through the Bouncy Castle service, I started promoting the welding. I was like, I'm getting pretty good at this. I'm not, I want to do something other than just dirty repairs. So I gave out a couple, I made cards and then I gave out a couple of cards to these general contractors that I'd met through the Bouncy Castle service, renting their kids, you know, birthdays out. And uh, they call me, hey, can you do this railing? 
I'm sure I could figure it out. So it took me way too long. I lost money on the first rail and then another one came. He was happy with that one. Another one came. The biggest thing that I've noticed in this business is you don't have to be the best welder underneath the sun. Everybody wants to be the stacking dimes guy, you know, everybody wants to be the hot shot. And, but it, it really doesn't, it, you just got to be good enough to make it presentable show up on time and do what you say you're going to do and just be a man of your word and you'll that'll take you way further than being mr stacking dimes or whatever which is a big misconception a lot of these guys think that you need to be the best top of your game in order to run a welding business i'm not the best welder by a mile i do employ or get work for some of the best welders that you've ever met i'm happy to have them on my team and what they get from me is business knowledge i show them how to be in business and not to make any mistakes and i save them a lot of money there and they do work for me and do great jobs better job than i could do most of the time that's a big thing that i like about your channel is that you will show it every time you're just like yeah it's not the best one ever but you know what it's gonna hold it's motivating motivating to newer welders your videos it just really motivated me to get out there and start doing stuff through the journey i take through your videos that's the mentality i get from them is just if you don't know how to do it figure it out just get out there and keep doing it as far well, as that's the only way to do things yeah no you can't just sit around and wait for work to come to you because you'll be sitting on your butt forever but as far as starting your first mobile rig the snail as you call it tell me about putting together your first like mobile rig l car coal was actually not my first rig the black truck actually was i really? used to run a yeah i've had the black truck for close to 10 years now. I actually, I what I did was when I was seeing that this was going to be a business, you know, this is right around the time I started welding for my dad's friends, just little BS, like fix a dump truck bed, stuff you can't really mess up. And if you do, you can go back and repair it. It's not that big of a deal. Nobody's going to die. So I went out on, I'm always on Craigslist at the time. Facebook Marketplace wasn't even gleam in Mark Zuckerberg's eye. Mm -hmm. And so I went out and I seen this Bobcat, this Miller Bobcat 250 total piece of shit, but it's what I could afford. It was $1,500. The dude said it had some sort of carburetor issue. And I'm like, shit, I could fix that. Cause uh, previous to welding, I used to buy and sell stuff. So I would mess with small engines all the time. And uh, so I went and grabbed it, messed with it, repainted it. I painted it as Camaro blue or something like that. It was pretty cool, but the machine was a total crap box. It just sucked. I took that thing, threw it in the bed of my, at the time it was a bathtub bed, the black truck. And got a gang box, put some of those, I don't know what you call them, bottle holders, like the latchable ones onto the gang box so I could throw oxygen acetylene up there and just ran a gang box and a machine for probably a couple of years. And uh, that's actually, I use that photo as motivation for the dudes I subcontract because they're in that, they're kind of in that realm right now. I have about three dudes. I'm looking to pull on a fourth. The fourth dude, actually, I don't know if I should mention him, but he's actually the most well-equipped guy I've ever dealt with. The other guys were well-equipped skill-wise. Probably, like I said, a lot of them better than me, but tool-wise, these guys worked in one dude. I met him. He was working in a shop making $16 an hour. And uh, I used to go into that shop and I, I subcontract. And that's the way to make money in this business. If you're doing everything yourself, you're not going to really make a lot of money. And I'm in my, I would subcontract the shop to build stuff or plasma cut or whatever for me. And I seen this kid, he caught my eye. He just was always working. He's not one of those dudes bullshitting. And I walked over and I was looking at his welds. I was like, God, this kid's a better TIG welder than I am. I'm like, and I said to him, I'm like, what are you doing in here? And I'm like, I know, what do you make? He's all 16 bucks an hour. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, dude, you're like a $40 hour welder easy. You think? So it took a couple of years of core orcsing, but eventually he came aboard and now he started his own business. He actually started his own YouTube channel as well. His wheel welding. His videos are a little janky, but he, he's getting better at that, just like he'd get better at anything else. Um, but no, I'm really proud of these 
I'm really proud of these guys that I've been able to take along personally because I, I like each one of them. I appreciate each one of them and they're all hard workers. As far as your journey on YouTube, did you just start putting out jobs that you were doing and then it just took off or like how did your YouTube channel evolve? Okay, so you want to know how the real reason I started YouTube, and I'll be honest with you. I was sitting there, and I was watching some YouTube videos, some other welders, and I was like, these guys are fucking boring. I was like, cut the video. I was like, nobody wants to watch you grind a piece of metal for fucking 45 minutes. Speed it up or something. And I don't know if I got ADHD or what it is. I'm like, I clearly have something going on. It's just undiagnosed. I have no idea what it is. But... I get bored extremely easy. And I was watching these guys. I'm like, these guys suck. I'm like, I can make a way better video than this. Like great welders, great, like in the practice of welding and repair and great guys, mentors of mine, but God awful boring when it came to making a video. And if you weren't really there to learn how to do what they were doing, you just zone out. I said to myself, I can make a great video. And then the other part two of that is I was like, I need to make money in a way that's a little more passive. And with YouTube, I can upload one video, two videos a week, and I don't make a lot of money. But, you know, it's like between five and 3000 bucks a month, which is whatever. I'm not writing mom no letters on how I'm rich. But I figure if I keep growing it and I keep doing it and I keep delivering, just like anything else, keep trying to get better at it, keep trying to offer new insight into the industry and insight into my personal life, I figured people would gravitate. And I guess I bet right. And me just being me, I've always... I've never had a lot of friends, but I've always had a lot of people gravitate towards me because I do have a big personality. I, I will tell you to shut the fuck up if I don't like what you're saying. So I don't know. People have always admired that about me. I've always heard that. You know, I can't believe you just told that guy to go fuck himself. And I'm like, he needs to go fuck himself. I'm not going to pussyfoot around me not liking you. I don't like you. Get away from me. And uh, so I just mixed all those things together in my head. And I said, you know what? I'd probably be a good personality for this. And it was a good gamble. And here I am. I guess it's been two years, three years almost of doing it. That, that's something that. When you're learning welding, you can learn how to weld all day long, but getting the mentality of a welder and what it's like to actually be a welder, like just out working jobs, I feel like that's what your videos really convey is what it's like to be there doing the work. Like it's, you don't doll it up. You see exactly what you're there to do. One of my favorite ones you did was the carnival rides. And you're just like, okay, <laughs> you know, it's like there, there's some, that's some high pressure work because people's lives are at stake too. But it's also, oh yeah, like you're, you just show this is what you need to do to make it happen pretty much. Ew. And, but also you put a lot of your personality into it. So it's not like you're just listening to a teacher. It's like being in on a day of your life. That's what I like about your videos. Yeah, and that's what I try to convey. And as far as you started your business in Florida and then you just relocated to Montana, tell me what was that decision all about? It's just too hot in Florida. It's just where I'm at now is way too many people. When I was a kid, I grew up in the town that I'm from. I'm from Spring Hill, Florida, Brooksville, Florida, Wikiwachi, Florida, where I ran around as a kid, where the manatees are for our listeners who are not familiar with Florida. I spent a lot of the time on the river hanging out there. Beautiful place. I absolutely love where I'm from in Florida. But the people, man, it's just the Southern hospitality has gone. And I'm a, like I said, I'm not a patient dude. Like I'm really not. I might convey it in the videos a little bit more than I am, but I, I don't tolerate disrespect. You know what I'm saying? You slam the door in my face at the gas station. I'd be like, yo, fuck you. What are you doing that for? It's not, 
if you're out, outwardly rude to me, and that's what it was becoming, I was getting into a lot of confrontations with people over just the sheer rudeness that has been brought to Florida. And then part two to that, it, for me, is just the heat. It seems like it gets hotter every year. Being a welder, draped in your PPE, I like to wear the respirator. I like to be geared up. I don't want to get burned. I'm not trying to get a lung cancer or something like that. I just I needed to get out of there. And uh, I found a small community here in Montana, which has its own challenges, but the people here are very polite. They hold the door for you. If you're broke down on the side of the road, you'll have 10 people stop. If they see you have an issue, people will look to help you to fix it. They're not takers, a lot of them. And the people have been here for generations because there's a lot of people who have been here since the Indian War days, families. And they have a sense of community because they rely on each other to survive. It's a harsh place here. It's a lot of people move here. They get one bad winter, they move away because it's a harsh existence out here. You may get snowed in and not be able to leave your house for a week or two. If you're not industrious and you're not self-reliant, you're not going to be here very long. Or you have to have an ungodly amount of money, which is also another reason I wanted to move here because there are a ton of people with an ungodly amount of money that want railings and columns and structural work and BS. I've seen a market for it. I was just sick of a couple of things in Florida. And I really wanted to be a part of a community. I want to help people. I want to donate my time. I have plans on joining the volunteer fire department here at some point. I need to finish my house, get a couple of things buttoned up. I've made pretty good friends with the chief in town. Really cool guy. Was invited to 4th of July at the firehouse, which is a big deal to me. So like I said, I'm just, I want, it used to be a community where I'm from. It no longer is. It's everybody's out for themselves, it seems. And people wouldn't pee on you if you were on fire. So yeah. I just, I wanted to be someplace where it was a little more, you could die if you didn't help your neighbor. You'd be out freezing to death and they'll just look at you because you didn't help them. Yeah, it's a weird world right now. I came from the music world and then COVID hit and went into welding because I wanted to have a trade that I could always do no matter what. And since then, I've, I'm playing again. I'm out playing a bunch of shows and it just seems like people just have disconnected. Like there's a big disconnect of just people don't care anymore. It's really sad, yeah. but I totally get where you're coming from on that. As far as when you're... So you play... You... Oh, go ahead. Can I ask you a question now? Because you piqued my curiosity now. What kind of music do you play? I play all kinds of different stuff. Like I'm in a band out here in North Carolina called Chuck Mountain. We do Southern blues rock. And then I was in a rock band in LA called the Heavy Heavy Hearts. And that was like heavy blues rock. And then I had a solo career where I did more singer songwriter Americana stuff. And then I do a lot of stuff for film and TV so that's my background in the music world. But I play guitar, bass, sing, write, pretty much anything you need to be done, I can make it happen. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, man. I love music, but it is, it's the same. The welding world and the music world have a lot of similarities that are very, because when you're a musician, you're out working for yourself. You're getting all your own jobs. One of the things I was going to ask you, I get booked at a place. I have to quote them my fee, correct? And when you're a welder, you have to quote your fee as well. How do you go about quoting people like how do you come up with pricing oh shoot that that's a that's a pretty big subject hourly i charge above 25 now i've told all my subcontractors i want them to move up to that and that's the work that i bid for them is always at 125 an hour and that's repairs the reason i bid repairs at hourly is because you don't know what you're going to run into 
And I hate making that phone call like, hey, I ran into this. You're going to need to pay me X amount more because it always leads to a fight in my experience. And you want to avoid any sort of confrontation that you can with your customers. You're going to have it. There's no doubt. I mean, you're going to have times where you're going to fight with your customers. But as far as railings or fabrication jobs, I just try to figure out how many hours I'm going to be into it. Uh, Usually add 20% for, you know, mistakes. And then as far as like the material, I get material, I get the material price. I usually try to price it up from multiple places. And then I add anywhere from 20 to 40%, depending on the circumstance, the volatility of the material and the time. And also me knowing the client, like I have one client, I work for Home Depot. I'm, I'm sure you've seen a couple of the videos. They will ask me to bid a job in March and then approve it in November. And I have to be able to honor my price because if I can't, I don't get the work. What will end up happening is they'll be like, I'll say, hey, listen, it's X amount more because you made it so long. And uh, they'll be like, well, we already have the bid approved. And then they have to go through that reapproval process again. It could be another six months, which is strange to me because it's usually structural damage inside of their buildings. And why they would wait that long to fix structural damage, I guess they figured it hasn't fallen down yet. I don't know. But a huge liability. Take, I think they're taking a huge risk by waiting at all. But Like currently I have two column jobs, two really nasty column jobs that have been in bid since I think September. Paul Sibolowski actually, Weld.com's host is one of my subcontractors, the guy I'm probably the most proud of and quickly became one of my best friends. I love that guy, solid guy. He's got, I gave him the work on one of the columns. He's going to be doing it this Saturday. I wish he would film and uh, take more pictures of what he does because he he really is a, first of all, wealth of knowledge and second of all, just an excellent dude. Excellent, excellent guy. One of the best people I've probably ever met in my life. But yeah, that's, that's, it's challenging. It's challenging because these guys will wait three to six months before they approve a bid. The repair works a little bit easier. And that's where I suggest people start off because it is usually just an hourly base deal. You don't have to try to crunch numbers. Somebody brings you a trailer or whatever, and you replace the tongue on it and it takes you three hours. You fill them out, whatever your hourly rate is at three hours. It's that simple. Yeah. I feel like that is just a constant topic that people are asking it's like how do you bid jobs how do you like bid your material and i like the advice that you just said of bidding hourly for repair stuff because i've run into many a job i do a lot of just restaurant and bar work because i've been a musician for so long i have lots of contacts in the restaurant and bar world so i'll just build custom stuff for them so instead of if they have something that needs to fit in a tight spot i can go in there and build it in the right spot but i've run into it many a time where i underbill myself because i think i can do it a lot faster but the idea of adding 20 percent for mistakes i've never heard that before but that is brilliant that's common practice and that I'll tell you where that comes from. It's from dealing, rubbing shoulders with good contractors who will be honest with you because every general contractor is marking up a minimum of 20%. And I'm not just talking labor, I'm talking material, I'm talking everything. And that's my end game is to be a GC, which is very, I shouldn't say very, it's a lot easier to do in Montana. But that's, if you're not doing that, you're making a huge mistake because everybody else is. And also another t- a tip or t- is to get at least three bids on materials. I like to do more if you can, and then you take the highest material price that you got, you quote that with the 20% and add it on. And that's going to guarantee that you don't lose profit pretty much in all instances. And you're going to lose profit. You're going to lose. If you're not willing to lose, don't get into being self-employed because you are going to lose, but you can win big too. It's almost like gambling. I've done jobs where I made 20 grand in three days profit. And then I've done jobs where I've lost three grand in a week. So the goal is just to be more profitable than you are. And it's hard for guys because it's hard for them to zoom out. And it was hard for me when I first started. 
they're focused on the task at hand. So another big piece of advice I could give guys is to zoom out. Stop looking at what's right in front of you because you may lose money on this job yet, but by doing a half-assed job, cutting corners, and not really getting the job done the way the client should expect could wor- it could worsen your reputation, could make you give you a bad reputation, and a bad reputation is worse than losing money. Um, it's always worse than losing money. Because if you have a good reputation, but you lost a little money, you can always get more work with the person you lost money from and maybe make it up on the next one. But I've seen a lot of guys start cutting corners. I've actually had some subcontractors do it because they get, they're get they starting to lose money on a job. And I'm like, listen, you gave me the bid. You have to honor the bid. And they'll call me. And I've had a couple of instances. I've ran through a couple of um, that'll call me and they'll be like, hey, this is taking longer or I fucked up. I have to buy more material. You think you, I can get more money? And I'm like, no. Absolutely not. Because I don't, when I deal with a general contractor, they don't give me more money for my mistakes. It's your mistake. Own it. And honestly, don't even call the general contractor, whoever you're working for. Just fix the mistake. I show the mistakes in my videos because I want people to see that you do make mistakes in this business and you just correct them. Keep your mouth shut and correct them. The customer doesn't need to know that you made a mistake. If they're there for it and they want to be a part of it, then you know, then you can talk them, talk to them about the mistake you made. And ninety percent of people are very understanding. That ten percent you can really chap your ass and make you think everybody's evil, but the truth is most people understand this. But yeah, money wise, that's the that's exactly the way you need to do it. In my opinion, of course. That's great advice. I am always searching for advice just because I split my time all over the place. I have too many irons in the pot, as people will say, just because I do music, I do songwriting, I do welding, I do the podcast, I tutor. I'm all over the place, and I feel like that is a detriment to my bottom line at the end of the year most of the time, and definitely want to just narrow my field in the future. But as far as bidding and everything, that is really valuable advice and sticking to your word. I think that is a really important thing in any trade. Oh, anything, yeah. As far as when you're making these videos, when you're trying to film welding, there's a lot of different aspects that people don't think about. But the thing I like about yours is you show different processes that most people will cut out. I saw one where you repaired this big smoker and you use the copper backing, like little tricks that people don't necessarily tell people about because it makes them more money to be able to do something that other people can't. But that copper backing, that is a really big thing. What are other tricks that you've learned along the way that have saved you money? Not so much a trick, but almost a piece of advice again is make friends with the local welding shops that are bigger than you, that are better than you, local welders that are bigger and better than you and see if you can't get in on some of their jobs and pick up what they know. There's this one gentleman named Roger back in Florida who owns Amax Welding. I think probably a $15 million a year business. I really wanted to sit down with him and pick his brain on, a, on an interview. I just haven't had the chance yet. Maybe when I go back, I'll see if Roger's got a minute. I know he's been battling cancer a little bit, but uh, actually Paul Sabolowski used to work side by side with uh, Roger in, in the uh, shutdowns, doing power plant shutdowns. So this guy's deep in the welding community. I mean, he is a big name in Florida. He does, he owns his own business now. That guy started from literally nothing to a $15 million a year business. So I really admire this guy, but uh, what really made me admire him and what I always try to seek company with him is because when you go to his shop, the man will literally walk around the shop and tell you why he bought each piece of equipment, what kind of money it makes him, what he uses it for, who his customers are, how he bids jobs, just anything you want to know. Roger's an open book. So I drew inspiration from him on my YouTube. I just brought it to a larger platform. With lack of better words, Roger's just, Roger's just a beautiful person. He just, he's that rare guy 
has made himself in he's made himself a miniature empire his shop is huge it's got to be 10,000 square feet he's got rollers the size of most people's shop he's got he's got every tool underneath the sun he's got a he's got a I think a 10 by 20 plasma table and he will sit there and be like oh I bought this because I noticed that this guy didn't have that and I noticed there was a demand for this one and he's hooked up with the power companies he's hooked up with uh, hospitals he's got some huge clients and uh, yeah, that's the best thing I could really tell people is just get out and meet people who are better than you. And that's why I, again, I keep mentioning him, but that's why I was so stoked to get hooked up with Paul because Paul knows things that I don't know. I mean, the man's welded inconel, nickel alloys, he's welded it all, titanium, you name it, the man can weld it. And every job he does with and for me, he just knocks it out of the park. I never have an issue with his work. So basically, surround yourself with people that are better than you. If you're not around people that are better than you and you want to be king shit and you be the smartest kid in the class, that's cool. Do that. But that's not my bag. My bag is finding people who are better than me and I could truly learn something from them, you know? Yeah, definitely. You never want to be the smartest person in the room, for sure. As far as when you're working with subcontractors, this is something that I didn't even think about talking about, but we've been talking about it a lot. What is it like working with a subcontractor? Like, what is that process like? How do you go about paying them? Like, taxes, like, all that. What is it like working with subcontractors? Okay, so for example, how I always, what I do, the first thing I do with any subcontractor is I take a job with them. I'll put a guy that I don't really know out on a three or $500 job, mark it up and make my 30% or whatever I make off of these guys. And they know it. They know the numbers. I'm very transparent with them. If they want to know what I made on a job, I just tell them. I'm like, this is how much I made. Because my goal is to set them up the way I'm set up and then maybe above them and they make money from all aspects. So Basically, I handpicked my subcontractors. I don't just willy-nilly let any asshole with a welder go out there and start welding on my projects. For example, like I said, Paul, I met him through Weld.com. He expressed to me that he wanted to make more money, and it just, you know, Weld.com was treating him really well. He was very happy to be there, but he wanted to do something on the side. He wanted to go out. He wanted to start welding because you just sit in a shop all day and testing products because you know what Paul does. He tests products for them, and he, video making is a very small part of what he does. So yeah. he was just, he was two parts. He was bored and he was also wanting more money. Who doesn't? So I, uh, I said to him, I was like, Hey man, you're a real talented guy. You know, you want to start welding with me? He was like, hell yeah. So me and him went out and uh, we did a railing job together out in Orlando. And this took a lot of trust from Paul, <laughs> like a lot of trust for him to trust me to do this. So we build the railings in weld.com shop. It was actually, it's actually one of their videos. And then I filmed part two in the field and me and Paul weld these things together. I was real happy with his welds, everything that he did, his mentality towards doing it. Just his, he's a very level-headed man. Nothing excites him. He's not a nervous guy. And we went out, we installed them. We had a great time. I mean, him get along very well, very well. And uh, yeah, we just were able to make jokes at each other's expense and have a good time while we're doing a job. I don't know if you, you watched the video of me and him doing the $17,000 railing install. Me and him cleared, he cleared about, I think, five grand in four days, which he hadn't made that kind of money. And I don't think, I don't know, ever, maybe. Once he's seen that and that he's seen I was a man of my word, because what I do is I also, I tell the subcontractors, and this is common in any sort of general contracting or contracting position, is listen, you get paid when I get paid. And I'm going to pay him regardless, but he had to wait, I think, 60 or 90 days for his money. And for a dude to wait 60 to 90 days for five grand that you don't know from anybody else, and that shows a lot of patience and maturity as well. So I paid him, 
And after that job was successful, I started sending him out on his own jobs. And he's just been killing it ever since. He's probably done about 30 to 40 jobs for me. And I'll tell he'll call me and be like, hey, what did you bid this at? And I'll be like, just an example, I'll be like two grand. He'll be like, okay, what's material? I'm like, I don't know, three or 400 bucks. He's like, okay. So he knows that he needs to come in at 1100, 1200 bucks. And then that way I make a couple of dollars and then he makes a couple of dollars. And he's, like I said, a mature guy like that who understands business, it understands that like he's not going to make a hundred percent of the profit because it's my contact. It's my insurance. It's me doing the bid. It's me estimating. It's me dealing with the customer. It's me playing bank on the materials. So I make a certain percentage off of him and he's totally happy with that. And he always gets paid. All of my subcontractors always get paid way over what their normal hourly is. Um, I always try to make sure that they're well taken care of. And it also comes down to, and a lot of you guys don't like to do this, but I do I stay pretty personal with my guys. If they have an issue in their life, I'll spend an hour on the phone with them and try to help them through it. If they're having an issue with their vehicle, I'll try to pitch ideas on what's wrong with it. Things like that. We're not just, like I said, Paul's one of my very best friends now. I mean, and how that came about was he actually flew from Florida to Montana and helped me build my house. Did it for way below what his hourly and daily rate is. And the man makes working with me, he makes anywhere from a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a day. And then all the right now he's working for a company for that I introduced him to and I gave him the contract because it's repair work and I can't really be in the middle of it. He works for Archer Western, the people that are building the bridge between Tampa and St. Pete. He's been a big part of that and a big instrument to them, rebuilding boats, welding H pile. You name it, he welds everything for them. And we're actually currently, me and him are trying to get him into welding lattice boom cranes because the man has the talent to do it. So I basically handpick these guys. I make sure they're up to par, they're up to snuff. I make sure they have a good attitude just in case the customer shows up. And, and then I help them grow their business. I tell them what tools that I think they should buy. I introduce them to my insurance people. I show them how to write an estimate. I show them how to bid work. Basically, I take them underneath my wing business-wise, but a lot of the times I end up learning stuff from them. Like I've learned a lot about welding aluminum from my other subcontractor, Herminio. Herminio is absolutely another guy that I just love him. The dude shows up, he does his thing. He's bailed me out of a lot of bad situations. But again, I'm there for him. If he calls, I answer. If Paul calls, I answer. Any of my guys. When I try to mentor them while also try to learn something from them. It takes a unique guy to work with me and it takes a unique welder to take on the work that I have. It takes a problem solver because a lot of the times you walk into these jobs and they're not what you expected them to be. And how I pay, I brushed over that. Like I said, I make them bid the work. I call them and say, listen, this is what we got going on. What do you want to do it? And the problem is because of the turnaround nature and a lot of the times it's first to bid just gets awarded the job and a lot of the shit I do. So they usually have about 24 hours to give me a bid, which sucks. I absolutely hate doing that to people, but it's the nature of the beast. If you want to be in with these big contractors and these big companies, you need to turn around your bids in less than 24 hours. Another tip for our listeners here. So, and that was something that was a little difficult for Paul at first. Now he's been knocking it out of the park with estimates. He gets back to me in a couple hours. I'm still trying to get him to write down a little bit more stuff, make sure he saves all of his documentation for each job. Sometimes we need OSHA 10 and confined spaces and stuff like that. So just trying to make sure he has that whenever he goes to a job site in case an inspector or something shows up and then he knows he can he can deal from there. But yeah, that's basically how I do it. And I try to be a weapon for these guys as well as they're a weapon for me. You know what I'm saying? They're going out and they're on the ground doing the work for me. And a lot of the times I'm just I'm making phone calls, answering phone calls and making sure everything's high and tight, making sure everybody's happy, making sure everybody's taken care of. Yeah. As far as how do you find all this work? Is it just years of networking? If someone is trying to build their business, like how do you even find this work? Where do you go to find it? 
Uh, you got to eat, breathe, and sleep it. If you're not eating, breathing, and sleeping this shit, find something else to do. Any business, you got to eat, breathe, and sleep it. You know, you, you're at McDonald's in line getting a burger. You need to turn around to the person behind you be like, hey, I'm a welder. Here's my card. Person in front of you, hey, I'm a welder. Here's my card. The lady at the counter, hey, I'm a welder. Here's my card. Give me a call if anything breaks in the kitchen. If you're not eat, breathing, and sleeping it, you ain't going to be successful. I see a lot of guys, and like you said, you can't expect the work to come to you. Nothing in this life is going to come to you. You have to make it come. You got to grab life by the neck and you got to make it submit to you. It's, and a lot of times it's going to grab you by the neck and you got to wrestle yourself out of that position. So if you want it, go and get it. Nobody's going to go and get it for you. I'm the closest to going and getting it for you. You're going to get, and I'm not even really going and getting it for these guys. Like Paul is perfectly capable of getting his own work. He's got several of his own customers that I've never even heard of. But right now, because he's new to being an independent welder, not new to being a welder by a long shot, that man's been in the industry for, you know, probably me and you put together our ages. But the business side of things is something that he never really got into. So I've been kind of coaching him and then he coaches me with, hey, Paul, this weld is messed up and that charming Southern accent. He's got, well, I'll tell you what, this is what you need to do. You got to go ahead and cut that out and do this. And so we're both growing together. And it's a beautiful thing when you can meet people who, are looking to do the same thing and you can get together and uh, cooperate and uh, try to both come up from it. And that's something I always preach. The other welders in your community are not your enemies. The other welding shops are not your enemies. So you don't need to try to always screw them or get over on them. That's a loser's mentality. People are like ants. They do better when they work together. So if you're not working together with your welding community and you're not out there trying to meet everyone in your welding community, I think you're making a mistake. You should be out there being friendly with them. And if they hate you behind your back, that's their problem. And if they're trying to screw you, that's their problem. That's only going to end up screwing them because they're spending their energy on the wrong. You got to spend your energy on, on building yourself, building your business and, you know, make it what you're ideal situation is a million dollar a year business is not everybody's goal and it's not necessarily mine either but you figure out what you want to do and the best way to execute it and like i said you can make relationships with shops that they can do some of the work for you so you can take some of that burden off your back everybody talks about the welding community but most people talk about it in the online aspect but that's great advice for it make yourself known in your local community like the places around you become friends with those shops because they might have equipment you need to use all that good stuff that comes along with making friends but as far i just i'm looking through your videos at the moment and there's one called debt free welder rant a lot of people will go into massive debt when they are accumulating equipment and everything what has your journey been and philosophy been when buying equipment and just upgrading your rigs and everything. Good on them for having good credit. Unfortunately, I've lived a really wild lifestyle for a long time. I've been in and out of the hospital a lot. So those hospital bills, sometimes in the tens of thousands, are just absolutely ruined my credit. And the other part of it is now my credit's fixed. I've paid off all those debts finally. But honestly, banks don't want to loan to small businesses. They don't believe in you. And the people who do want to loan to you want crazy interest rates. They want like 17% and stuff like that. And I told the guy at one of my local banks, he can go eat a dick because he told me on a $10,000, I got 150 grand in your bank right now. And you're telling me you can't give me a $10,000 loan. I was like, dude, go eat a dick. That's what I told him. He's like, you get out of my office. I was like, you can still eat a dick because that's <laughs> fucking rude. You got 150 G's of my money. You should give me whatever the fuck I want. And uh, so that dude pissed me off pretty good. So banks in general, I think bankers are scumbags, most of them. And I'm not talking about the girl that's the teller. I'm talking about the scumbag that's in the back fucking counting the pennies. Oh, we can't give him a loan. Because at the end of the day, they try to make it like, oh, it's just not our guidelines. Bullshit, there is no guidelines. It's at your discretion, asshole. 
And so basically what they're saying is they don't believe in you, but I don't really believe in taking, especially in a business atmosphere. That's a fickle thing. I have a friend, his name is George Lehman. He is our age. I don't know how old you are. How old are you? 36. Okay, I'm 30. He's about 32, so he's about our age. George Lehman is probably worth $50 million. I don't know, give or take. I've been friends with him since I was 16, maybe 15 years old. George Lehman at one point held the world record for deadlifting. So he's a huge guy. Guy's like 6'7", 350, something like that, all muscle. Just a big fucking guy. How George Lehman made his money was first off of YouTube. He used to have this channel on YouTube. I think it was called Baby Slayer or something like that. It was like this nickname the internet gave him. But he was big on the internet because he was just like this massive dude sharing his workouts much the same way I share my welding. So he made a bunch of money on YouTube. He only got to like 90,000 subscribers. He's got a few million view videos and he's been featured in other bodybuilders realms and stuff. And he took his money and invested in real estate. And this is where I'm going to get back to the debt thing. George Lehman uses debt. He leverages debt in order to take loans on other houses. He truly doesn't own anything except for the money in his bank account. So he's brilliant. And he has a Facebook page that like is so underrated. Nobody really follows him because he goes on like these 10 page rants about how you can become a real estate millionaire. And everything he's saying is hundred percent the truth. And it's not like he gets any money for doing it. He just goes on the internet and does it because he feels like he needs to. And nobody listens to it. But I do. I like a tooth and nail following it because I've watched the kid go from living in the back of his mom's house to now he lives in Thailand and owns over 100 doors of real estate. He doesn't even come back to America to do his real estate deals. He does it all from abroad. So an incredibly impressive guy who made his living off of debt. Now, on the opposite side of that, as a welding contractor, when you're going into business at first, it's a gamble to begin with. If you really want to do it right, you have to put your full time into it. So that's why I always tell guys, before you get into this business, you really need to accumulate as many of the tools as you possibly can. You really should have an engine drive welder. If you're going to be mobile, that is. You really should have a little MIG backup machine. You should have a little TIG at least. You know, you should have a good running truck two of them if you can afford it, oxygen acetylene, at least one set. And of course, one set of all the torches. You should have at least a couple of grinders. You should have all the measuring tools, obviously, which are fairly inexpensive. So that's a pretty easy thing for guys to get. And the reason I say that is because you really don't know. You don't know when you're going into it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't take gambles in life or you shouldn't try, but you don't know when you're walking in whether or not this is going to be a successful endeavor you're going into. And worst case scenario, if you own everything and you decide welding is just not for you, you don't like the business, you can always sell that stuff and hopefully you can sell it at a profit if you're savvy enough. And that's worst case scenario. Best case scenario, you take off and you hit the ground running and all of a sudden you got more work than you know what to do with. It's just a safer thing to do in my opinion. I never think it's a good idea to take business loans like that. I don't, I have no debt currently. I don't finance anything mainly because banks just didn't want to deal with me. And uh, yeah, I just don't, I don't really believe in making a banker rich because you didn't have that money. It's, for me, it's very, money's everywhere. Money's on every corner. If I wasn't welding, I'd be fixing appliances like I used to, or buying and selling equipment like I used to, or fixing furniture and selling it like I used to, or whatever. But money is on every corner. The illusion that money isn't everywhere, is just a joke. It is literally everywhere. It's not always easy to obtain depending on your skill set and your equipment set, depending on what industry you're in and what you're doing. Like I said, using debt is sometimes a good thing. If you're a real estate investor, I think it's a great idea because you have an asset that's an appreciating asset, but welding equipment is not an appreciating asset. It's a depreciating asset. So I don't believe in financing depreciating assets. You want to have a home loan? Good on you. That's an appreciating asset. You want to buy a piece of land and 
put a loan on. Okay, I'm a little less in favor of that. But don't go out and finance campers and motorcycles and depreciating assets. You need to stay out of that. That's bad debt. I hear it on the internet every day, and it's you want good debt. Good debt is appreciating assets. And really the only appreciating asset I know of is either investing in a company, investing in some sort of startup. Again, that takes a great deal of belief, but the safest one is real estate. And uh, that's, I think everyone listening, that should be your end game because you're going to get old one day and you're not going to be able to do the things you're currently doing right now. And you need to have residual income from things that require low maintenance and little time from you. Real estate is really, I think, the end all be all. And and honestly, if I have to be square with you, I I regret if I could go back in time and spend some of these large sums of money that I've had in my hand, I would go back and I would buy real estate versus what I have bought in the past. Real estate investment can make you a lot of money. One of my old bass players in a band, he bought a house and then started renting it out. He lived there, but started renting it to his roommates, then used that money to buy another house and then another one. Now he's got like a little real estate empire out in Nashville. It's pretty crazy how fast real estate can add up. One thing I always try to end each episode with is, so for new welders out there or people trying to take their business to the next level, what is your biggest advice for people to focus on? Be a man of your word. Like I said, you don't have to be the best welder on earth. You just have to show up on time, do what you say you're going to do, and uh, just be a man of your word. That is the number one thing I can tell a new welder or a new business owner. You only got two things in this world. You got your balls and you got your word. You don't break neither from nobody. That's really the end all be all. And I learned that from my father. This is a little tangent, but let me explain to you where I get this mentality from and why I know it works. My father is extremely successful in the dirt business, selling dirt. That's what he does. He calls himself a dirt chauffeur because he has dump trucks that drive dirt around. How he started was he moved to Florida 35, 40 years ago before I was born. And he didn't have a pot to piss in. He had a checkered path, much as I do. His was a lot more interesting than mine. But he moved to Florida and nobody would give him an opportunity. You know, it was good old boy club. They knew each other from family generation to generation. So these people were not willing to give him work. So what my father used to do was he would go around to all the different places that would need his service, dump trucks. And he would sit in their office and tell them, listen, you're going to give me work. And they'd be like, no, you're not a part of the good old boys club. One day, one of the good old boys made a mistake. He was supposed to have X amount of trucks at a job site at X time. Those trucks did not show up. And this contractor had just about had enough of this guy. So my dad just happened to be in the office that morning. And he looked at my dad and he said, listen, you get me X amount of trucks by this time. He goes, you have all my work. My dad got X amount of trucks at that time. And from there, that was his big jump off. That was his break. And he made that break for himself. But he became a multimillionaire in the dirt business by being a man of his word and always keeping his word. And he's a hard man to deal with. He's a tough man. He's your quintessential, that middle-aged dude who just doesn't take shit from anybody. Like, he's a hard man to get along with, but he's a great man because he's a man of his word. He doesn't break his balls for nobody. He doesn't break his word for nobody. And that's led him to great success. So I basically am using that as a blueprint, but in a different industry. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Well.com podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, shoot me a message on the Weld app and let me know what kind of topics or people you would like me to have on in future episodes. Also, if you're trying to score some new equipment and swag every month, there's a mystery box of surprises given away to a lucky premium member. So make sure you don't miss out. I'm Bo Wigington. And until next week, we'll see you out there.